I want to pick up where we left off last time in talking about the, uh, the doctrine of Calvinism and um, what, it per what pertains to it, especially in the acronym TULIP. And we've already talked about total depravity, unlimited atonement, or excuse me, unconditional election, limited atonement, um, irresistible grace, things like that. We've already laid out most of those main tenets. And what we did last week with this um, final point is we, we laid out what is meant by perseverance of the saints. And you'll hear it described different ways. Uh, you'll hear it described as eternal security or once saved, always saved. Um, again, we'll use the same terms, but it's going to be defined very differently uh, by the way somebody who holds to Calvinism would uh, and somebody who does not. Uh, a preferred definition or a preferred title would be preservation of the saints or saying they are kept by grace. Um, and like I said, something we must note and must keep in mind that this is not just limited to churches that are of the Reformed doctrine or um, are expressly Calvinistic. Most evangelical Christian groups, whether they're liberal or conservative in their theology, will will hold to what you could call a one-point Calvinism. And it's going to be this point. They hold to what is called perseverance of the saints. Whether they say it outright or not, they hold to it. And you'll hear it by a catchphrase that you can easily identify. If you hear somebody say, well, they are or were not truly saved, that's an indicator. If somebody talks about whether somebody was truly saved or not, you're getting into this realm, and it usually has to deal with when people sin or when they fall away, and if they create, if they uh, commit a really big sin, well, then they could have never been truly saved. Um, so this is prevalent, it's pervasive, it's just about everywhere you turn. The main idea is that if God has unconditionally elected someone, which means He has chosen them in eternity past to be saved, uh, based not on their faith, but only by His good pleasure and His will. If He has given His Son in atonement for them, remember, limited atonement states that Christ died only for the elect. If He did all of that, if He exercised His irresistible grace, meaning He overcame all resistance, um, any uh, rejection of, his uh, of, of a person's disbelief at the time and the moment of salvation, and He caused them to be born again so that they could place their faith in Christ, if that all happened for somebody who is totally depraved and totally unable to be saved, then once they are saved, they're saved forever, they're not going to fall away, they are going to persevere because they are kept by grace. Not only are they saved by grace, they are kept by grace and they will persevere. R.C. Sproul says this, that all of the elect come to repentance, all of the elect come to faith, all of the elect are saved, and none of the elect perish. None of them fall away, none of them defect. Again, we had many quotes. Here's another one from Wayne Grudem. Perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again, there's that phrase, will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And, and here's where um, I start to seriously disagree. Only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. Only those who persevere to the end have been truly born again. So if someone 
perseveres and they are faithful and they go to church and they do all the things that a Christian should to the end of their life, that is a marker and a proof that they are really saved. If they don't, then you have reason to doubt that they were ever saved in the first place. If you're truly saved, you're never going to fall away. And if you do fall away, you were never saved. That's basically the bottom line. We looked at some scriptures uh, that they will use. Um, and a lot of this is, at least lately, in response to what they would call easy believism. Um, Again, like I said, many times they do not like the sinner's prayer at all. And we have our own feelings about that. Um, I think it is greatly misused and has misled a lot of people, especially if you're in a setting, hey, you want to be saved, raise your hand, repeat this, these words, and boom, you're good. Well, or even phrased, if you want to go to heaven, pray this prayer and then you'll be good. Well, who's, who's not going to raise their hands? Everybody wants to go to heaven. And without necessarily the conviction of the Spirit or, or a knowledge of sin or coming to repentance, as the Scriptures say. Um, but this is uh, especially in response to some of that, that, that people think they're saved and they're not. They say there are many who have made a false profession, uh, whether by walking an aisle or uh, saying the sinner's prayer or by Ask, even, they say, asking, someone, asking Jesus into someone's heart or when they get baptized. No, they say it is a work of God that He does and that if He does it, He will keep you. And if someone makes a false profession, then they're not going to persevere. So, all of that to say, um, the basic meaning is if, if you are truly saved, you're never going to fall away. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll see a verse that they use here. Romans chapter 8, and we'll pick it up in uh, verse 28. We could pick it up there. Romans 8 and 28. If you're at home and have a Bible, I would encourage you to follow along. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. This is what is called in Reformed circles as the golden chain of redemption. You have predestination to the calling, the justification to glorification, all of it a work of God, all of it by predestined choice, by election, and by His grace, and you are kept by grace. So that's one of the verses, um, another one of the verses that they will go to, and, and uh, I'd encourage you to look back or listen back to the lessons before so we don't spend too much time on that. So where we left off last time, well, well, then that leaves a question. Do the elect ever sin? I mean, do they never commit big sins? Or are they perfect? Are they righteous, totally um, sanctified their whole lives? Or is there room for them to sin? What's the answer to that? R.C. Sproul says this, Even after we're regenerated, we still lapse into sin, even serious sin. We say that it is possible for a Christian to experience a very serious fall. 
We talk about backsliding. We talk about moral lapses and so on. I can't think of any sin other than blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that a truly converted Christian is not capable of committing. So at least one of the leading spokespersons for, uh, for this movement says, yeah, sure we sin. Even serious sin. And they'll go to example, examples of David. David, we know, the Scripture says, is a man after God's own heart. And we have many of his faithful deeds recorded in Scripture, right? First and Second Samuel especially, if you read those, you see David is all over it and he is very faithful in many of the things that he does, but he commits a very serious sin, doesn't he? Adultery, murder, and he covers it up. Even praying in, in uh, writing and praying in Psalm 51 to that the Holy Spirit be not removed from him, and, and uh, in other psalms how it was affecting him. This was a serious sin that impacted his life. But we see that he repents; he gets back on the right track, and the Scripture still calls him a man after God's own heart. David had a serious fall, but he was restored. Another example is Peter. Peter is one of the twelve apostles chosen by Christ. I'm sure he has um, a tendency to stick his foot in his mouth, but all, most of above that, he is faithful, and most of his life he spends following, or the the latter part of his life he spends following Christ. But even Peter had a serious fall, right? He denied Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. Vehemently, he denied Him. But yet, he was repentant and was restored. So they'll point and say, yes, a Christian can sin. Somebody who's truly saved can sin. They can mess up royally. But there's a difference between someone falling and falling away and someone falling and returning. They fell, but they were restored. They returned. Even if the fall was for a season. And that's why they say that true Christians can have radical, serious falls, but those falls are never total and final. So if someone slips, sins, and never comes back, well then, they were probably never saved. But somebody can slip up, mess up, even fall from grace, but they always come back because they are truly saved. There's going to be that repentant heart within them. So if someone does leave, listen, I know a lot of people that have left the church. I know some people that have messed up, but some people that are still out of church. Does that mean because at one time they walked faithfully and they, they uh, were part of the church and that that was their life and now they're not, does that mean they were never saved in the first place, that they made a false profession, they were under um, false impressions at the, the start? The Calvinist doctrine would say, yes, they were. If they were truly saved, they would persevere. So even, so, even, even though one might profess Christ at one time, if they later walk away and even deny Him, it proves, as they say the Bible indicates, that they were never truly saved in the first place. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, if you'd like to turn there. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19 says this. John writing here says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. 
but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. He's talking about people that have left the church, even had a um, unchristlike spirit. And he says, they went out because they were not truly a part of us. Now, you're going to have to assume what the us means. If you're going to read this with a Reformed doctrine, us means all the saved and nothing more. Us has nothing to do with a covenant relationship or being part of His people, which we willingly place ourselves in at baptism, right? You're going to have to say us doesn't mean that. Us means the general large family of God into which every person is placed at salvation. They went out because they were not of us. If they had been truly saved and had truly been a child of God, they would have continued with this, but they went out so it would be shown that they weren't really saved. That's what they'll say. So everyone who goes out is not of us. They are not truly saved. And I need to say here again, this is I stated uh, last time, this has been carried to a kind of a really extreme. Okay? So you'll have most people that will say, yeah, if, some, if somebody seriously falls, they, and if, if they seriously fall and they fall from grace and they really mess up, but as long as they're restored, they're good. Shouldn't do that. <laughs> Shouldn't go there. But somebody can seriously fall, like really mess up, like Peter or David. But in the end, they can be restored and repent and everything's good. They're forgiven, whatever. Okay. There has been a, a tendency to carry it to extreme to say, if you're truly saved, you're not even really going to commit big sins. Lying, cheating, maybe. But adultery, murder, things like that? Whoa, anybody who does that, they must not be truly saved. How could a saved person really do that? I'll tell you how. David did. Let the flesh get a hold of him. He looked with lust upon a woman and he let his flesh take over and he followed after that and he realized his mistake and he tried to cover up for it several times which led him down a path of destruction. And listen, even though David was restored, that sin destroyed his family. He learned from it and the scripture calls him a man of God, uh, excuse me, a man after God's own heart. I don't think David was lost because he messed up. But there is a kind of a feeling today, a Christian can't commit those big sins. And in fact, if somebody murders somebody or somebody commits adultery, it's kind of proof that they were never really saved. So you, you have extremes in this, okay? And this, this is pretty pervasive. No, a true Christian will be kept by God and... Any faithfulness that is in the Christian's life is God's working in them. Philippians chapter 2, let's turn there. Philippians chapter 2, if you would. Let's see what it says there. And again, if you're just coming in, I am speaking about perseverance of the saints, speaking from the perspective of the Reformed theology, somebody who holds to this, and uh, just kind of laying out some proof scriptures that they'll use and and uh, seeing what that belief's all about. Philippians 2 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, 
as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You see, there is a responsibility for man to persevere. But don't miss verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You see, if you're truly elect, if you're truly saved, you're going to work for it, but the work, any work that you do, any faithfulness that you produce is not going to be from you. It's going to be from God working in you. It is God worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Um, Louis Burkhoff says, It is not the perseverance of man, but of God. It is God who keeps His elect. At the same time, the elect one cooperates with God in this perseverance. So, it's God working in the elect one and the elect one work, uh, uh, being faithful to God as God brings him along. John MacArthur says this, If you could lose your salvation, you would, but God makes sure you won't. So, uh, I think that's probably it in a nutshell when it comes to this belief. I found this statement several times um, reading through the material, listening to, to the messages on this subject. And it's this, God keeps the believer from committing sins that would cancel their salvation. God keeps the believer from committing sins that would cancel their salvation. If you get down to the bottom of it, in my opinion, at the end of the day, when you sit and you think about all that is being said, that if somebody sins bad enough, walks away, they lose their salvation or they were never saved. Um, and if you're truly saved, you're never going to do these things or you're always going to come back or uh, God keeping you from committing sins that would cancel salvation. In the end of the day, it's salvation by works. It's salvation by works, which they believe can be lost. I don't believe that's biblical. I don't believe that's biblical at all. Let's, let's look at a couple scriptures. Let me ask uh, a question. At salvation, is there a change? Is there a change in someone at salvation? Well, certainly we would say yes, there has to be. Absolutely, the scriptures. Describe it as being born again. Being born again. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17. Therefore... If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Jesus uses the terminology in John 3 as he speaks with Nicodemus. You must be born again. He talks about a new birth. A new birth that brings new understanding. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. The Bible says the flesh cannot understand the things of God, but the spiritual man can, and the Holy Spirit gives to us. Well, 
At the moment of salvation, somebody is born again by the Holy Spirit as a new creation and now begins to understand spiritual things. That's what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's a new creature, literally a brand new creation. This, this word uh, creation is used in Romans a couple times in chapter 1. And it references what God does in Genesis, creating something from nothing, a brand new creation, a brand new substance, a brand new something that is brought from nothing. And that is what happens at salvation. We are a brand new creation. Now, people will talk about becoming a new man or a new woman, right? This is not what this is talking about. People can feel new because they get sober. People can feel new because they turn over a new leaf in their life or people can feel new or born again even because they come through a traumatic event that gives them some new perspectives. This is much more than that. This is the dead come to life. Being spiritually dead and now I am spiritually born again unto new life. I am in Christ and a new creation. Old things passed away. All things now are become new or, be, or, or are becoming new. But I am a brand new creation. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. I want to point you to a couple verses. And it's important to establish this point. That yes, there is a radical change at salvation. There is a radical change in someone when they place their faith in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 5, Even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened or made us alive together with Christ. This monumental change from death to life. John 5 and verse 24. John 5 and 24. Jesus speaking says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Yes, there is a very radical change that happens at salvation. It is a birth. It is a uh, bringing the dead to life. It was one thing to expect the coming of my children and see my wife pregnant, and enjoy all that goes along with that. And things were a little different, right? We were more careful, and we're kind of getting ready. But once they are born, everything changes. It's a whole new way of life. It's a whole new way of everything, because now there is a new life in the world of which I am responsible for. The change is like that at salvation. It's a whole new world. It's a whole different existence. One is born again spiritually, and they are a new creation. And with this new creation comes some new affections, uh, new desires, a new personality, a new um, way of living. Let's back, turn back to Ephesians, if you would. And I want you to notice something in chapter 2, and then we'll jump over to chapter 4. We get a description of what it's like before somebody is saved in the first part of chapter 2. It says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time passed you walked or lived according to the course of this world. Means 
just how everybody else is going, just going along with the flow, doing what society does, and supporting and craving and loving what society loves. That's the course of the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, so not only did we walk or live according to the course of this world, but we lived according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Satan has a very real realm in the world, and he has a a very real influence on unbelievers and their minds and what influences their minds. Make no mistake, Satan is at work in the world. And he is working to keep people blinded to the gospel. And before we came to the gospel, that's how we lived too. Verse 3, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh. We all lived in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we lived for ourselves, fulfilling our own selfish desires of our flesh and the desires of our mind, what we thought and what we felt, and we did what we wanted to. But something happens at salvation that changes that. Not only is it coming from death to life, but something else working. Look in verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, but we are His workmanship. I have written in the margin of my Bible right there by that verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are His workmanship. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It is God's work in us, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. See, there's a purpose now. There's some things that change with salvation, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Turn over to chapter 4, if you would. Chapter 4 and verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. You see how this connects with chapter 2? He's talking to people who are saved. He's talking to people who have yielded their life in baptism. He's talking to a church. And he says, I want you from this point on not to live like everybody else lives, in the vanity of their mind, the futility of their mind. Listen, sit and watch the news. You see a lot of vanity, won't you? Look at what people spend their money on. Go to the store. You'll see vanity. Everything is futile. People are trying to... to Get stuff, and stuff breaks, and stuff fades, and stuff doesn't satisfy, whether it's money, or whether it's a house, or whether they're looking for love. Whatever it is, none of that seems to satisfy, and the whole world has gone crazy after it. And it's all vanity. Fulfilling the desires of the mind. I need this. I want this. I really think I should have this. Fulfilling the desires of the heart. I'm going to do this because it makes me feel good. And, of course, you have the course of the world and Satan working in that to keep us away from God. And Paul is writing here to this church at Ephesus and say, hey, don't live like that anymore. You're different. You're different. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over into lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20, But ye have not so learned Christ, you are different. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If so be, verse 21, 
ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, former lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There is that new man that is a new creation that is created in righteousness and true holiness. Justified by the blood of Christ. Made righteous by His righteousness that is given to us as 2 Corinthians 5 also tells us. But Paul makes an interesting statement here. You're not supposed to live the way you used to because you're different now. There's a new man, right? You're a new creation. But he tells them to put it on, right? Verse 24, and that ye put on the new man. That word for put on is an interesting word. It means literally to sink into or to, to clothe oneself. Do you ever have one of those big, huge puffy blankets on a cold day that you wrap yourself with and you just kind of sink into it to where you become like a, a mummy or whatever it is? I remember doing that as a kid and um, just feeling the comfort that it was, especially on a cold day. That's a picture I get. This new man, this new creation, who I am, sinking into it, putting it on letting it clothe me, letting it be who I am because it is who I am. I'm not like the world anymore. I passed from death to life. I'm created now in righteousness and true holiness. I need to live it. Live it. Romans 6 gives us another aspect. We'll move to a close here. Just a couple more thoughts. I want to lay this foundation that yes, there is a change at salvation. There is a, a very radical change. And there are some commands now to live different because we are different. So, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, put on the new man. Romans 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? He's talking about being justified by grace. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's a statement of the new man. We're dead to sin. Sin does not reign over us anymore. It has no power over us. That is broken by grace. That is broken by Christ. How shall we that are dead to sin live in it anymore? Know ye not that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death, therefore we are buried with Him by baptism and death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, it's a shame I have to kind of explain that, um, especially in today's age and the Christian climate that's out there. Baptism is a command of Scripture. It is what we're supposed to do. You see it again, over and over again in the book of Acts. They were saved and baptized and added. That is the assumption of the New Testament. Jesus Christ was baptized. He said it, it, be, it fulfills all righteousness and it's an example. We willingly place ourselves through the baptismal waters to show that 
I'm now dead to sin. I'm dead to the old life. I'm raising up to walk a new life now as part of Christ's body in, in relationship with Him and in a covenant with Him. And I'm not going to live the way I did anymore. I'm identifying with Christ. The old man is dead. I'm walking in the new life in this new man who I am. Verse 6, knowing this, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 11, likewise reckon ye selves, ye also yourselves, to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a command there. Reckon yourselves, count yourselves, estimate yourselves, have a view of yourselves to be dead to sin now. And now I am alive unto God. I'm a new creation with new wants and new desires and new purpose. Not to serve sin anymore. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. You obeyed in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Yes, we are dramatically changed at salvation and there are some new actions that should accompany it, accompany that namely wanting to serve God putting that old life on wanting to serve and to follow him and that desire shows the change I'll make no bones about saying yes a saved person should be a changed person they should live a different life than they did before why because they're a new person they are a new person. Turn to the book of Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 5 says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. They see the change. They see the, the new person, the new way of living, and it's a witness and that's evidence that something has really happened. If somebody stands up here and says they've been saved and then they keep on going, going out and doing sins of the world, would that call for question? Maybe. Most of the time, when somebody's saved, they're a different person. They're living a different life. I'm not going to disagree with that at all. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 17 says this, Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Verse 20, Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. We are known by our fruits. We are known by our example, our actions. And it speaks to the inside change. It should. Our lifestyle, our actions should speak to the inside change that has happened. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul tells Timothy to be an example of the believers in charity and faith and purity and deed, all of these things that he lists to be an example. And we should be. Our lives should be changed. But what happens when they are not there? What happens when we are not showing as John says, fruit meets, fruits meet for repentance. What happens when we fall away? Does that mean we've lost our salvation? 
Many will say that if somebody falls away, they were never saved to begin with. Can that be true? I want to turn to one last scripture, and, and I'm just going to kind of give a little bit of an answer to that, and we'll, di- we'll dive into what the scriptures say next week about that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three. A familiar passage to some of you. Let's pick it up in verse ten. According to the grace of God which is given to me, this is Paul speaking to Corinth, people he a church that he planted, he spent a lot of time with, um, teaching them. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's saying, I've already laid the foundation in your hearts. And I want you to call to mind the second letter he writes to them in chapter 5 and 17. If any is in Christ, he is a new creation. Jesus Christ is the foundation. The, the fundamental change happens when we believe on him. That's the foundation that no one else can lay but Christ. Verse 12 says, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. See, now we have a responsibility to build upon that foundation. That's those right actions. That's the obedience that we are to have and that these good works that God has created us to that we are to follow and live according to what Scripture says. We can build on that, and we can build in either one of two categories. Gold, silver, precious stones, things that are worth something, or wood, hay, and stubble, worth less. Verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. There's coming a day when judgment will come, and God will try us by His judgment and what is not done for His glory and what is not done in obedience will not be able to stand and it will be swept away. But the things that we have done in obedience and by grace and by mercy and in following our Lord, those things will stand. Those are the gold and the silver and the precious stones. But the the worldly things, the worldly attitudes, the, the slips and falls that we have, that's the wood, hay, and stubble. When we stand before Jesus, nothing of this world will stand. It will be swept away and we will be left on what we have spent most of our lives building. Have we been faithful and have we built on the foundation the right things or have we neglected it? If any man's work, verse 14, abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, consumed by the glory of God, in which no sin can stand. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. All those times we knew what to do and we didn't do it. All those times we made the willing choice to do something else. Those things will be gone. Those opportunities will be gone and I think we'll remember There's a lot we could say here, but those things will be burned up. He shall suffer loss, but he himself 
shall be saved, yet so as by fire. There are things that we can do in this life that give glory to God, and there are things that we can do to take away from that and and separate us from Him. There's coming a day when those things will be burned up. Listen, there's probably going to be some Christians that have a lot of wood, hay, and stubble in their lives. Piles of it. Maybe they got one gold coin. (laughs) But in the end, when all that stuff is burned up, the Bible says he himself shall be saved because he has the foundation in his heart, Jesus Christ. So does every saint persevere? No, I don't think so. I think we can fall away. I think the Scripture speaks to that. And I think when it does talk about losing out on some things, there might be a misunderstanding on what it's talking about. I want to dive into that next week um, when we begin to talk about some of those things. So hope it has been helpful. And uh, we'll pick that up next Wednesday night.